Hello, friends. Welcome to a tale not for the faint of heart. The year is 1890. The place, Boston. A dark and sinister force has seeped into our world, corrupting and conquering all it touches. Now, four adventurers have banded together. Can they keep the darkness from holding total dominion over all? Find out as our heroes face the Red Death. And as he, you know, walks you towards the front, he's patting you on the back and keeps referring to you as Marshall and telling you what a what a fine job you did, keeping all those folks safe. You know, as you get to the to the exit, he gives you a quick nod and then turns back in. All right, I, I tip tip the hat back, light up the second cigarette, and walk off into the black. Okay. So as you're walking home. Uh, We'll switch over to, to what's going on with James. So James, you uh, you make your way to, to see Terry, and he's sort of, you know, not in... Uh, he's still in the clothes from the previous night, looking pretty... Well, actually, no, that would be a real bastard move on their part. He's covered in blood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they've got him a new set of clothes. He sort of barely notices you as you, as you come in. All right, James is going to walk right up to him and... Um, just grab him in a bit of a hug, uh, okay. you know, and try to, you know, just let him know he's there. Okay. He's, he sort of freezes up for a second and then blinks and then hugs you, um, and just starts sobbing. He's, he doesn't say anything. He's just crying. Yeah. James will just, just hold him and let him cry and, you know, just say, you know, kind of say, we'll figure it all out. Uh, we just need to get you home. And, and you know, get you, get you back to to Beth. Says, is she even going to want to see me? Well, I think, I think, I think we can, with some time and you know, talking. I think we can. I think she will. Okay. Um. So as you're as you're making your way back, uh, you can tell he's hesitant to go home. And as you get to the, as you get to the the door to his, you know, sort of tenement building. He stops before going up the stairs and he looks at you. I still see it all, James. I, I see my hands doing what they did. Why did they do that, James? What? And why couldn't I stop them? James takes a deep breath and thinks and says, well, Terry, I don't know. I know it's going to be, it's going to be hard and it's probably going to be hard for a while, but I can assure you just as as the events led me, I, I can assure you that you just have to remember that that wasn't you. That it was someone did something, someone very evil did something to you that 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 made you do all of that. And and I know you, Terry. I've known you for years, and I know it doesn't. It may not mean much now, but I know that's not who you are. And I mean. And anybody else who knows you that knows that's not who you are. And with time, uh, you know, and I'll be here. I'll be here to help you through it as much as I can. We'll hopefully at least make make it easier. Um, 
so he tears up again uh, and he just grabs you into, into a big bear hug. And then he says, uh, thanks, buddy. You just, you just remember that, that, you know, I'm here, I'm here with you through, through as much as this is, you know, as you'll, as you want me to be. He says, you're like a member of the family, James. So wants you to stick around. So he takes a deep breath. He lets go and he says, all right, what do you think they told her? Well, I don't know, but I think they, I think they probably told her they were holding you and that you, well, maybe hopefully that's, that's the most of it. If you didn't see her at the station, they probably hadn't told her, told her much yet. Just that you were in a bit of trouble. Okay. So he, uh, so he sort of nods and um, waves goodbye. And he says, well, I guess I'll see you on Monday. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you should, if you need to take some time, you know, I can, I can help you out with, you know, if you need to take some time off, I can, I can help you out and your family out for, for a bit. He says it. Come by on Monday. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe it would be good to have something to do. Yeah. Well, are you sure you don't need me to come up and, you know, talk it through? He says, uh, no, whatever she's got to say to me, she can, if you're there, she might not be quite honest with me. All right. Well, in that case, then, uh, he grabs him, hugs him one more time and says, you know, I'll just, I'll, I guess I'll see you on Monday then. Okay. So he, uh, pats your shoulder and he, he walks up, closes the door behind him and, uh, you hang out for a minute just yeah. to, just to see. Um, so you see a light go on in a window, um, and you hear just the, the shrillest, most excited, most overjoyed sound you've ever heard Beth Watson make. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a crappy building. You hear the sound of her running across the floor to him and you figure that's probably about as good a time for you to head out. Yep. Start walking home. Yep. Yeah. So it's not far. Uh, you live about a block away. And as you open the door to your apartment and flip the light on, there are two men sitting at your table. Uh, two men you recognize. Yeah. And uh, one of them sort of makes a show of pulling out his pocket watch and says, uh, this was pretty late to keep us waiting, Mr. Wilcox. Did you forget that Fridays are collection night? And as, as you hesitate, the other one says, well, hope you were out working. We're going to need to be paid for our time sitting here, big man. James, not feeling too great, takes just a moment, and his fists kind of clench up. And he says, well, I do apologize. Uh, just one moment. And he heads off into, into his, you know, his bedroom area and opens up the drawer and fishes out a few, a few bills uh, and takes them back over and then hands them over. Okay. So they say, well, this is what you normally owe us. And the other one looks at the other guy and says, uh, what do you think our time is worth? He says, oh, our time is probably worth about, about twice this. And you see one of them kind of reach into his jacket and set a pistol on the table. He says, yeah, our time's pretty valuable. Right as that's happening, you hear, you hear a knock on the door. 
James will look at them and look over at the door and back at them. They say, uh, the guy sort of waves and says, uh, whoever that is, get rid of them. All right. So James will walk over and kind of crack the door a little bit and peek out of it. And... You open the door and you see Madame Marie standing there. And she says, Jimmy, can I, can I call you Jimmy? Jimmy, I came here to see you personally. Open the goddamn door. Yeah, I think James is going to open the door. Um, so the so the the two thugs stand up and uh, both draw pistols. Uh, and Madame Marie looks at him and goes, "Sit down, boys." And they see who it is. They go ash white, and they just sit. Uh, and she says, "Oh, Jimmy, what are you into them for?" Well, that's a, that is a long story that, that I don't know that is we have time for at the moment. She says, I got about 30 seconds for a story. Why don't you, why don't you keep it short and sweet for me? What are you into them for? Like money-wise, is that what she's getting across? Yeah, she wants the, yeah. so she's saying like, how'd you, how'd you get stuck with these two guys sitting at your table and, uh, and how much? Well, it was the horses, and it was... So you tell was, her the amount. It was a um, plot-important amount of money. <laughs> that's right. So she says, oh, plot-important amount of money. Worker like you, you've probably, what, paid off twice that? Has he paid off about twice that now? Um, and the guys kind of look at each other and then look down. She says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you two run along and tell Victor that Jimmy's debt is paid in full? And uh, if he disagrees, let him know that Marie said she'll miss his business at her houses. Go on, boys. Boys. And they both sort of sheepishly stand up and file out. Yeah, James won't move. He'll make it uncomfortable for them to sidle past him. <laughs> so as they, as they go, she sort, of, she sort of walks over gives you a pat on the shoulder, closes the door. She says, uh, James, I hear things. And, uh, I heard you and your friends did a real good job bringing the Ripper to justice. Who was making my girls real scared, handling those free hill sons of bitches. I was coming over here to let you and your friends know that if each of you ever needed a favor, you'd earned it. But, uh, I think handling your debt with Victor pretty much puts us all even. What do you think? Well, ma'am, I, I certainly agree. She nods and she reaches out a hand to shake yours. Yeah, he will shake, shake her hand. Okay. He says, uh, she says, uh, but you know, if you ever want to come by my house, I'll make sure you're charged quite fairly. James <laughs> kind of laughs. It's the first moment that he can, he'd chuckle and, you know, and he'd say, well, I, I do appreciate that, but, um, you know, I think I think I have enough in that area. She she chuckles. She says, "All right, Jimmy. You have a good night then." You too, ma'am. And she heads out. And James will lay down on the bed and you know, just ache for a while <laughs> and pull out a stack of letters, just start rereading them through them and actually start start writing a new one to Monty and you know, be a be a long one. It won't be too full of detail, but it will 
it will have lots of of um, kind of I need to see you, you know, now, you know, just how important Monty is to him. This, this, you know, he's, he's had this, the cold hand of death wrapped around his heart. So everything that's important to him is, is forefront, right. in right in his mind. All right. Uh, Ignacio and Agnes, I promise you there's something for you. Yours are just not on, uh, on this, this first night here. So Finn, you get back to, uh, to Li Jing's place. And, um, as you go up the stairs, you uh, hear the the sound of her door kind of opening, and when you walk in, she's sitting at the at the table drinking tea again, and there's another cup sitting there waiting for you. Yeah, he, uh, Finn Finn definitely goes in and assumes the same position as the night before. Sure. Um, hat hat off in hand, uh, straightens his hair, sits down, sort of like a real real tough guy turns real soft in front of a sort of a female authority figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, who he respects. So he uh, he sits down and he doesn't even start to talk. He just knows that something's coming. And so he just waits for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you're picking up the teacup, she says, uh, well, did you kill them all? Yes. She says, that's good. Dangerous people. Well, how'd, how'd the rest of your night go? Well, I met a friend of yours. Ah. Or at least, at least uh, he revealed himself to be a friend of yours. She said, yes, Detective O'Neill came by here the other day uh, inquiring about you earlier today. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate what you have said. She says, uh, nothing to it. He and I are both part of the circle, my boy. Well, apparently that is a circle that has uh, uh, in, in, encapsulated my, me and my, my, my friends that I've just made. I guess I just have one question for you before you continue is, uh, are my friends safe in this circle? She says, oh, Finn, did Yan Wo not tell you? You're not part of the circle. Oh, I, I didn't think that I'd be part of the circle, whatever that is. Uh, what, I, what I'm inquiring about is whether or not this is the type of organization where associates in it go to the dark place and don't come back. That's the circles that I know. She says, no, no, no. The circle is there to protect everyone from the darkness. And you may not be part of the circle, but you're an important part of that plan, Finn. You're part of the arrow. You're a weapon. And a very good one. He starts tapping his uh, jade ring on his pinky against the the uh, the hilt of one of his pistols. Um, or no, I guess it would be against the, the teacup <laughs> at the moment. Right. <laughs> um, she says, uh, I'm sorry, I assumed he would have told you. He, uh, he was pretty cryptic. Hmm. She says, well, we can talk more, but uh, it is rather late. You've had quite a busy night. Well, I thank you for the tea. You're very welcome. So she drains the last of hers and uh, sort of putters off into her room. Okay. Well, he. Uh, I assume. I assume this is the an area of this shop that I can sit in for a few moments and reflect before I retreat to my room. Uh, this is her room up in the. This is like her parlor area okay, in her okay. in her apartment. But she hasn't told you to leave. So right, right, right. So I take. I take just a few moments to finish the tea calmly, and. Uh, I go to reach uh, for a part of my pocket where I keep a, a small silver cigarette case, um, and it's not there. Mm. 
and I have an incredibly worried feeling, like te- extreme terror, almost to the the same same feeling in my gut that I had when the ghost frightened me. Um, yeah, and that's that's where. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, Agnes and Ignacio, you get home, and uh, the Hans are are quite happy to see you. They don't ask too many questions, but uh, they do say, um, your mother, Agnes, does say that um, William and B will be over for, for dinner in two nights, and she would like to make sure that you're not off somewhere doing something that evening. I will do my absolute best to be there for that. She says, um, dear, you and I both know sometimes you're best at being at dinners can be lacking. Um, Do better than your best and just be there for them, dear. If I am not stopping another serial killer, because I know, I know (laughs) more important than that, but I will, I will do my utmost. (laughs) Um, She's amused, but she also shoots you a look. um, And she says, Dear, I'm quite serious. And even if you're stopping a serial killer, one must eat. So, uh, so yeah, so we'll, we'll jump forward 48 hours. Uh, well, I guess more like 40 hours since it's pretty late at night at this point. Um, and uh, the family is having dinner and uh, your brother's fiance Beatrice is over. It's just wedding talk nonstop. You notice something interesting, though, and that's that um, Beatrice doesn't seem particularly interested in talking about the wedding. She keeps asking you about the the Jack the Ripper murders. Uh, I will answer any questions that I don't feel like doc- uh, Dr. O'Neill, Jesus, uh, Detective O'Neill would want me not to like talk about, essentially. Okay. And she's just fascinated. Uh, William gets really frustrated with her with this. He's Honey, we have a we have a wedding to plan. Like, g- great, my sister helped some other people stop uh, a murderer from being a murderer, I guess. But this is the rest of our lives. I interrupt him to say, "I stabbed him," you know. <sighs> he says, "Is that is that like a threat? Like, are you telling me if I don't stop, you're going to stab me?" This is is what I have to deal with with her, like, her whole life. Like, I don't know what... I just thought Beatrice might be interested to know that she's about to uh, belong to a family with someone who has stabbed a serial killer. She says, I I find that incredibly fascinating. Oh, um, but... so, So then... And like, she just starts like asking you like to tell the story, like almost over again. Um, Is Ignacia there? Sorry. Uh, yeah, Ignacia can be there. Why not? She just, eat, she's just there just eating quiet. <laughs> just to all of it. She has no input at all. <laughs> I do that thing where I angle my chair or like at least my back in the chair so that I'm not facing William as much as I possibly can, <laughs> but facing the interest. I almost want to make you do a dexterity check for that because they're sitting right next to each other. So it'd be tough, but we'll just, we'll, we'll allow it. Um, so he finally like drags her back to, to wedding planning. And so some of the details, they're going to get married in July. 
uh, it's May, so there's there's two months. Um, uh, people are sort of like wedding history nerds can correct me on this, but my understanding is there wasn't as much planning time for weddings back then. The um, and so the you know the dinner goes by, and you can tell Beatrice is sort of bored with the the wedding planning and just wants to to do this and get over get it over with, so she can talk more about uh, your foiling a serial killer. But you notice that um, over the course of the evening, you observe her enough to notice that she's pretty anxious about something else too, though you don't quite know what. I'm just gonna and when there's a time when maybe William's turning to talk to uh, our father or mm-hmm. our mother, tell her that after dinner, I'd love to just sit and chat with just her while uh, having a bit of tea or perhaps port. You have never seen her so happy. Um, she is so. She's. I. I would. I would love that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, there is something I need to talk to you about. Yes. And she says, and not not the Ripper murders. I. I feel like I'm. I'm sorry that I asked so much about that, but I, you know, it's just so, so fascinating to me. It was a very interesting time for Boston, so of course you would be interested. And to to know someone, someone who will be my sister, who, who, oh, it's so exciting. So uh, yeah, so dinner passes, and uh, the two of you retire to the the study. And uh, are you having tea or are you having port? Uh, whichever she would prefer. I am equally interested in both. Oh man, she both at the same time. Yeah, she is so excited that um, she just can't choose and brings both because she's worried that you were testing her or <laughs> that you really wanted one and not the other. Um, and so she brings both, and she's very excited. And she sits, you know, close to you and sort of clasps her hands around the tea. Um, she says, and, "And Agnes, will you call me? Will you call me B? Because if, if we're to be sisters, you should call me what my friends." what my friends would call me, which, which is B. Sure. I will, I will, I will call you B if that makes you happy. So very happy. Um, I, can I, I'd love to have my new sister be my maid of honor. Besides, I don't have that many friends. I would be so thrilled to be your maid of honor. <laughs> she, she like drops the tea and just dives in for a hug. Um, and she is so, incredibly happy that she like she just can't even um she's so happy i agnes is really she is going to make an effort to be present when william finds out that she said yes to this (laughs) so she says um yeah sure why not uh she says like well let's let's go tell william let's let's let him know um he thought oh let's he thought you might not want to i I wasn't sure if he thought that, that you didn't, didn't like me or, oh, I was so worried. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, Agnes. Let's go tell him right now. Okay. Um, so he's sitting in the, uh, in the parlor uh, with your father, um, and they're you know, smoking cigars and talking doctor talk. And she comes in and sort of rushes over to him um, and says, she said that she would be honored to be my maid of honor. Oh, oh, William, this is, oh, this is so perfect. Everything's so perfect, William. And she gives him like, just a really like adorable kiss on the cheek. While she isn't looking, 
uh, I give him like the biggest shit eating grin ever. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, I, I knew she would dear. I was only fooling with you. It was one of those jokes that I like to play. And he like gives you one of those like, like shaking head, forced smile, like intentionally forced smile looks back. <laughs> what a wedding it'll be. <laughs> and then the rest of the night passes in just excited conversation. So uh, Ignacia, a few nights later, uh, you're, you're in, the, in your study, uh, in your room studying. And um, Charlotte, uh, the, the matriarch of the Han family, taps on the door and says that, uh, you know, every, everyone is out. Agnes and B are doing some dress shopping. And it's just such a pleasant evening. She thought uh, you might like to go for a walk with her. Um, sure, I would love to. She said, I'm, I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Um, no, not at all. And she closes a book and puts it away with her journals and stuff. I, I, was, I was just simply um, studying a bit. That's all. She smiles warmly and she says, uh, I have a friend I'd like to introduce you to. Okay. So yeah, so you're you're walking out, and um, you know the the days are are longer, um, so it's still you know, sort of dusky at this point. Um, and so while you're while you're walking, she, you know, as you're walking down the street, uh, without looking at you, she says, "So, how long have you had your powers?" Um, I'm I'm sorry. Your magical powers. How long have you had those? <laughs> Um, well, um, a, 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 a few years at this point, five, maybe. Yeah. Um, she says, hmm. and that's when you were, uh, that's when you were brought in. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, thought there was something about you. So I cast a spell, noticed it. Wait, you, you cast a spell? Oh, I, I just assumed you'd done the same to me. No, I never assumed about any of that with the family. Oh, oh dear. And she sort of like stops and looks at you. She's incredibly confused. Um, she says, I'm, I'm a sorceress, dear. I was born with magic in my blood. All the women in my family have been. That would explain Agnes then. You know she doesn't believe any of this, right? Uh, she chuckles. She says, <laughs> "Yes." Um, she's a she's a funny child. She'll, I believe that one day she'll she'll come around. I I I, I eventually she will, but she just assumes right now it's just logic and reasoning of what's going on, not something innate. She says, <laughs> "Yes." Um, well. And that works for her for now. Um, who knows? That may even be the the source of her power. I have no real understanding of how I'm able to do what I'm able to do. But and she sort of like uh, opens up her hand, and like a small uh, hummingbird appears in her hand, and then she like extends her fingers, and it vanishes just as quickly. Ignacia does a little gasp. <laughs> She says, uh, just a little prestidigitation. I'm sure you could do the same. Not quite in that nature. Mine's more of um, what I can do is usually 
I use my magic for healing. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Of course, I have some protections and able to see things if I focus hard enough into like things evil or, you know, magical. But other than that, I don't know much. She says, well, Teresa will be thrilled to meet you. Um, Teresa? Yes, my friend. And so uh, she says her house is uh, right around the corner. Okay. And so, uh, you know, she gets to the, keep walking, gets to the door, she knocks on it. And um, a woman in her early 50s uh, with long gray hair opens the door, hugs Charlotte very warmly while smiling and, and looking at you. She looks you, uh, looks you over carefully. And she says, uh, she looks at you and she says, you certainly are. Araceli Lupita's daughter, uh, granddaughter, aren't you? Yes, that's my abuelita. How do you, how do you know her? Are you... Wait, wait, hold on. I don't want to say this out here, but... Yeah, she sort, of motion, she sort of pulls you in the house and closes the door behind you. Are you and once the door is closed, like, are you two part of the circle? They say, yes, dear. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you, Teresa. She And she hugs you. Um, she's a hugger. She says, we understand that when Amelia initiated you, she didn't have time to answer many of your questions and that with the initiation process, your magic hadn't awakened yet and it was quite painful for you. Yeah, she she just left me after she initiated me. Yes. To uh, the hill on my own. And Charlotte sort of looks you over and said, and heal you did, dear. Um, but we thought if there were any questions you had about the circle that you would want us to answer, we would be more than happy to. Oh, oh. Where do, where do I begin? <laughs> I mean... The Latin, I'm still learning what that is, but. Oh, they say, uh, ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, sit circulus manet lux ignacia conservet. Yeah. Well, obviously my name's in it, but I didn't know the rest of it. May the circle remain the light of Ignacia to conserve them. Okay. Um, so does that mean I'm in the circle now? Is that right? Because I got initiated. Yes, dear. You remember. Full-fledged. Um, one of the rare traveling members, Teresa says. Most of us stay in one location to keep the Red Death out of there, but you, you're destined to wander. I mean, I was, I was chosen to go. I had a dream about my abuelita a year ago to travel up here. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so you're saying I'm still bound to travel? They say um, every once in a while there's, there's a traveler. And if you've traveled this far, we'd be surprised if your journey's over. Charlotte says, dear, I'm, I'm very sorry. I thought you knew more. We were going to clear some things up, but you must have more questions than you could even think of at this point. Oh, isn't 
that the truth? Um, uh, I mean, we I, I didn't really think much about it until a few days ago when um, Agnes and I were dealing with the whole Jack the Ripper thing. Mm. Um, we went to this this social room and there was cultists and one of them mentioned the red death and the circle. I remember correctly. They were trying to summon the red death. Yes. And they, they had, what happened? Yeah. They, there was a lot of sacrifices that they made already, but we stopped them. They say, uh, well, that's good. Um, the the Red Death, Ignacia, it feeds off of fear. And the more fear they can create in a population, the easier it is for the Red Death to come in. And it it's a, it's a terrible cycle because the more afraid people get, the more erratic they behave, and the more they cause fear in others. They aim to cause as much fear as possible and release the, the Red Death. If they do, we suspect that a region would fall to them. We, yeah. the Circle, want to keep the Red Death closed out as much as possible. So if they were doing human sacrifices, they were trying to summon something truly awful. And the Red Death's followers have more information than we thought. Well, we, I mean, at the time, I don't know if there was more or not, but all the coldest there, we, 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 we killed and, you know, of course, the police came in and cleaned it up and farted off, but I, there might be more cultists within the city then if that was just one Hmm. of the many. Well, we'll need to remain vigilant then. As she says that, uh, Teresa turns to, to her. And says, um, I think we likely should convene a full meeting then. And Charlotte sort of raises her eyebrow um, and says, uh, it's a great deal of risk in a full meeting. And Teresa says, if they're actively trying to summon the Red Death, they're further along than we thought. So they sort of go back and forth for a little bit. And then you hear a a voice from the doorway uh, behind you uh, that says, uh, well, uh, there is a member of the Arrow in town, so he could probably be of help. Sorry, uh, I don't. I don't mean to butt in. Uh, and you turn around, and it's uh, Detective O'Neill, and he says, uh, I'm, "I'm sorry. I, I can see you're having a meeting. Um, if it's all right with you, I'll I'll just get some supper, call it a night." It's Detective. Not a... He says, "Oh, Ignacia. Uh, good to see you, Miss Del Rio." And he he sort of he sort of looks at the two of them and like kind of waves his finger in the air and Teresa says, yes, she's a member of the circle. He says, huh? Well, uh, that would have changed things. So he comes over, um, uh, and he says, but, uh, sister, I'm, I'm very tired. So if it's all the same to you, I think I'll have a bite and and go to bed. He kisses, uh, Teresa on the cheek, sort of nods to, to you and, and Charlotte. He says, uh, as he's walking out, he says, yes, but uh, there is an arrow in town. And before he leaves, like, what, 
What's his name? Or their name? He says, uh, uh, he says, your friend Finn. So he, like, he pokes his head back in and he sort of looks at you puzzled. Uh, and Teresa says, uh, he, he's a member of the Arrows and you're in the circle. I would have just assumed you knew about each other. What are the Arrows? So they explain that the Arrow uh, is the, the part of the circle that typically travels more. Um, they're, the circle is very focused on protection and keeping things out. The arrows are focused on uh, solving issues as quickly as possible uh, and usually quite violently. Um, the arrows are the weapons of the group. They are typically seen as lesser members. They are, as most people consider arrows, um, more expendable. But that this is, of course, not something to, uh, to share with your friend. Okay. It would be really awful if he heard that about himself. Well, does he even know he's an arrow? I, I suspect he does. He's, cer- he's certainly doing things for the circle. But uh, they say, uh, I suppose we should ask Li Jing about that then. Li Jing? Uh, yeah, so you remember the name. That's the, uh, the apothecary um, mm. you met when you first came into town who... Uh, eventually introduced you uh, to, to Dr. Han. Right. So they knew. Uh, Ignacy had no freaking idea this whole time. Yeah, Charlotte says it would be quite a coincidence if it were otherwise, wouldn't it? Coincidences do happen, though. Um, okay. All right. And she's like, she's like for trying to just think of questions. So her hands are like on her face, just like trying to think. She's like, I, this is a lot. So uh, yeah, Teresa kind of puts a hand on your shoulder and says, uh, it's, it's quite a lot to take in, dear. Take your time, process mm-hmm. it, think about it. We'll be here. There's always time to ask us questions later. Thank you. And she just nods. So Charlotte says, um, and I think this goes without saying, but in case it doesn't, no one else can know what you know about the circle. If Finn is aware he's an arrow, then it would be okay. But better to have him find out about you from Li Jing if she's ready to tell him. She's his handler here. Okay. I could do that. But until then, you've never heard of the circle. You haven't talked to them about the circle, have you? No, because as soon as it was mentioned, we haven't even had a chance to really speak about it. And the days just sort of seemed to swing on by that I kind of forgot about it. Well, good, Teresa says. You, you can tell them what you're up against. You can explain the red death to them if you think it would help them, but, but nothing about the circle and nothing about us. And Charlotte, Charlotte says, um, yes, my daughter thinks I'm part of some mystical society and that she'll get around to debunking. Eventually she chuckles and she says, and for now that's a good thing for her to believe. Right. I believe so too. 
Uh, then from the kitchen, you hear uh, Detective O'Neill sort of call roughly. Are, are any of you hungry? There's a, I don't know if there's enough left for all of you, but I could, I could make more. Is anyone? No. Okay. I'm going to finish it then. <laughs> Ignacia is at a loss for words. She's just overwhelmed, quiet, uh, just sitting there sort of looking at the, the table, just thinking. And honestly, she doesn't even know where, where to begin. So Charlotte kind of, she also pats your shoulder and she says, I remember when I first found out about all this, I, it took me some time. You're staying in my house, dear. There's plenty of time to ask me questions. Of course. Um, do you have any leads right now on other Red Death cults? Are they even cults? Is it more like an organization, like activity? So uh, they explain that the, the Red Death is good at seducing the darker side of human nature, um, that whatever that is, whether it's power or rage or what have you. Um, and they, they target the most vulnerable, um, the, the weakest willed. And so uh, they explain that uh, their prevailing theory is that the, the ghost that was after Dr. Witherspoon was likely one of his victims and uh, who likely struck some deal upon her death uh, with the Red Death itself to come back and, and pursue him. But of course, there's, there's no, way to, no one to ask now, and it's unlikely that Dr. Witherspoon would acknowledge much of that. But it's those sorts of people upon whom the, the Red Death initially preys. Likely the Red Death figured it could use this poor girl to cause all kinds of fear and pandemonium wherever she went, and then Charlotte uh, chuckles and says, but I understand my daughter made short work of that. So whether it is promising people power beyond their wildest imagination or riches preying upon their avarice, wh whatever it is, it it has ways of whispering in people's ears and turning them to their ends. It could be anywhere. We must remain vigilant. The circle must be maintained. Of course. So Teresa says, uh, not to sound too crass, but I was thinking of having some of that uh, chicken. And if I leave my brother in there alone, he'll, he'll eat all of it. I know this is a lot to take in, but I'm also fairly hungry, if you don't mind, dear. But feel free to come by any time. Thank you, I will. Um, enjoy your dinner. Oh, thank you. If, if there's any left. So she uh, gives Charlotte like a, a quick, like, la bise, like and heads on in. Uh, Charlotte puts her arm around you, and as you leave, uh, Charlotte starts talking to you about anything else. How excited she is about her son's upcoming wedding, how wonderful, if a bit tedious, Beatrice can be. It, since we're changing conversations now, Ignace is going to ask her how to buy a wedding dress, cause, or like a dress to wear to the wedding, because <laughs> she doesn't know how to do formal society stuff. She laughs and she says, um, <laughs> we'll make sure you're, you're well taken care of, dear.
Red Death is Morgan Nuncio as Ignacia, Cleo Yunsu Davis as Agnes, Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer, Kent Blue as James, and Doug Lewandowski as our Game Master. Rotoplay Podcast is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue.